We're in the book of Judges, and we are in part seven of Samson. Uh, quite a bit on Samson, isn't there? And we've been looking at the book of Judges now for some months, and we get down to this uh, final uh, character of the judges, those who were raised up as rulers over a nation, in a time where the Bible says every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And I think if you've followed this series as we've gone through it, and as you read through the book of Judges, you kind of discover, like all of us probably as you read through it, is that it's, uh, the times then weren't so different than the times now. Uh, we are living in a day and age among our own culture where people are doing that which is right in their own eyes. And unfortunately, living so much for the now and so much for self. And it is a, a whole, whole generation awash in just consuming the things that entertain us for, for the moment and not the things that are everlasting. And I'm thankful for those and thankful for you who have come here on a Sunday morning and you, you desire hopefully something more than the now, something more than the temporary. We desire Christ who is eternal. And the book of Judges is, if anything, a warning to us of how sin can come in and turn any kind of nation or a work, a ministry, an individual into this cycle where you become enslaved to it and cry out to God and he's faithful to deliver us, always faithful. And there's no sin he cannot forgive except the sin of rejection. If you reject him, there is no other means of salvation. And I believe that's the only unpardonable sin. Uh, everything else is forgivable. And his grace, his mercy is extended to us. And if anything, over the backdrop of the book of Judges, is you see the sovereign God of all of creation and the one who strengthens Israel and strengthens all of us, the one who is there and he's for us, not against us. But he wants us to call out to him in faith. Well, last time we, we left Samson, he was... Um, he was in trouble. He's always in trouble, it seems like. And then there was a period of where we find he, the Bible says in the previous chapter of chapter 15, where there was a space of 20 years where he ruled over uh, the nation and he was their judge. And there seems to be a good period of time in Samson's life where he was doing what was right. We don't really have much comments on that other than uh, there was a, a peace that was given to the nation for about 20 years. You come to Judges chapter 16, though, and it seems like Samson goes into his old ways. And we're going to pick it up just reading down to verse 3. Judges 16, verse 1. Now Samson went down to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Lord, we are grateful for your word. And Lord, as we dig into it this morning and we look at this, help it just to settle deep in our minds and our hearts that, Lord, we would follow you in obedience. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And may he be exalted in our church here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, again, you come to this. Uh, remember, Samson is known for his strength. Uh, we know his strength came from the Lord. It was not human strength alone, but a superhuman strength, which was really supernatural from God. And he was a man that ex- exhibited that strength numerous times, sometimes in a way that seemed like he was out of control. And one thing we can find out about uh, Samson is that he always had uh, the hardest thing that he had really to control or the hardest time he had to control something was himself. Um, he, he always struggled with his own person, I think, as the greatest enemy. Sometimes I think uh, when I look at my own life and I think of the various things that uh, attack me and all that, it's the attack from within that is the greatest of struggles. And often it is in that uh, attack from within that we either are defeated or we're victorious. And no one else around us may even know the battle that goes within except for God. And God really desired to use Samson as a powerful deliverer. And yet we find Samson going back into this cycle where he would, he would go off and he would live for himself and not live for the Lord. Uh, and, and again, almost a, a picture of the nation at that time, which was doing the same thing. They would repent and come back to God and do away with the idols, and they would follow him for a generation or so. And then they would start in their ways of going back to idolatry and worshiping the pagan gods, uh, gods that could not heal, gods that could not speak or hear or anything or save. And they would be caught up in their sins associated with that. And then the enemy would come in, enslave them, uh, hinder them, and all of a sudden, there they were again in that bad spot, and they would cry out in faith, and God would hear and answer, and he would deliver them. And we see Samson is very much a man, very similar to that. But Samson seems to have one area of his life that repeats itself over and over again, and it has to do with women, all right? Um, now, obviously, God made uh, women attractive to men and that's a good thing you know uh, he did that and there is that a natural attraction that should be there for us uh, but it's when it goes beyond that into an unnatural affection in those things and we find with Samson remember when he, he was told his parents uh, he saw a woman of the Philistines and he said I want her and basically uh, he went down or they went down and they made sure that uh, marriage was arranged for that. And that brought all kinds of trouble, right, right, with the Philistines. Later on, we come to this passage and we find that Samson is going back down to places he shouldn't be. He's in Gaza. Now, interestingly enough, the region of Gaza is in our news, right? Now, we started this study in Judges well before the October 7th invasion that was going on in Israel and and the war that has broken out since then. But every day and every news cycle you hear the word Gaza. It is basically this strip which would have been sort of a desert strip up along the Mediterranean in southern, you know, south of Israel that connected that region to Egypt. And it would have been the natural place to go for commerce because then you had those, the Philistines who traded and they were, you know, sailors and others. And then you had also people that would be coming through that region uh, as it was a crossroad to the world. 
and they would be headed to Egypt or they'd be heading further into Asia or other parts. And so very much a, a place of business and a place of trade, but it wasn't a place that really Samson should be going because nothing ever good ever came out of that region. It always came trouble, and it's still to this day trouble for the nation of Israel. And I will say that Samson, the Bible says he went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there. And we're reminded that, and this is sort of uh, the idea of, uh, of Samson entering into sin again. And the first thing we see with his, his really road down to Gaza, which was really what it was. He was headed down to a region he shouldn't have been. Um, he, his first step towards that was basically the fact that he followed or he went to the wrong address. Um, sometimes we enter into sin or we get enslaved in sin simply because we take up residence with it. We, we are a little too close. And you know, honestly, people like to live kind of exciting lives, don't they? I mean, all of us, I think, like to have some little bit of excitement in our life and all that. And I think that's sort of built into people. But there's a problem with that for a Christian or for a believer where you, if you, if you want to incorporate sin in your life to bring in excitement, well, it's going to lead to trouble. And uh, the, the, the new nature and the old nature, they aren't compatible. Uh, whatever you feed, by the way, will come out victorious. And so we find Samson here, he goes to the wrong location. He goes down to Gaza, and it's there in that place where he would... Uh, end up seeing this uh, prostitute, this harlot, and there he would go in to her. And it reminds us that the Bible sets up warning posts all over the place. Now, like we have warning signs, you know, like stop or yield or a speed limit change or those kind of things. There were in those days signs that directed you to various parts of the, of the world, and including that region of the world where there would be signposts of sort, rocks that would have been erected with the inscriptions on them that would point in the right direction. There were mileposts during the time of the Romans later on. And there were those, those things that were there. But it reminds us, though, there were physical uh, signs that were there that told you that you were going towards a direction or a certain place it reminds us the bible tells us that there are warning signs for us spiritually and there are things that we should be following and things we shouldn't be following things we should be doing and things we shouldn't be doing in proverbs and i gotta love the proverbs i hope you do too the book of proverbs is set up so that you could read one proverb one chapter anyways uh, once a day for the whole month you know 31 chapters and if you did that you would be in the proverbs you know just read one chapter a day through the month and it's good instruction because they're just short sayings that's what the word proverb means and and they're just little things that tell us you know to sort of beware or to take note and they're just little couplets of writing sometimes, or, or maybe a little bit more than that. But most of them are just one verse or another. And Proverbs chapter 4 gives us this warning. It says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. Good advice from a man named Solomon to those that would read his words 
And Solomon at various times in his life also chose to follow the wrong path. And I say chose because if you are someone in our day and age, you have access to this book, the Word of God. And I have access. We have actually more access available to us with this, the Bible, than any generation before us. I can get on the internet and, and look at the electronic form of the Bible. I can project it on the wall, right? I can look at various translations in many different languages. And I can have the printed copy. And yet, if you do not read it, or if it just relegate it to the shelf, um, it, you won't know those warning signs. You come to this one, it says, avoid it. Don't go in the way or the path of evil. Avoid it. Problem with many, including Samson, was that Samson thought he could stand in the midst of an evil generation, in the midst of an evil place, and that he was strong enough to stand against sin, and he wasn't. You know, in the book of Genesis, there's an illustration there of a man named Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and you remember the story of Abraham. God promised him a land and promised him a great people. And when Lot came out of uh, his native land, or the Chaldees, uh, there were some that came with him, including his nephew, Lot. And there came a time when they were in the land that the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham, uh, they began to really increase and prosper, and there became a conflict between them. Sometimes the land isn't big enough for two people who are being successful at something. And yet we find Abraham takes the high road in the sense that he says, Lot, uh, you go your way, and whatever way you go, I'll go the other way. And he just is the peacemaker. And we see Abraham the peacemaker. Well, the Bible says this, and we'll pick it up in verse 9 of Genesis 13. Abraham says, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself, now that's important, he chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. By the way, that's the place that God promised he would prosper Abraham. Abraham stayed in Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And it says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now that commentary in the last part, well in verse 13 there, is uh, really the commentary of the times and the location of that area. The plains of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah right there were places that were occupied by very evil men. And we read of their sin later on in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. Genesis 19 is uh, the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah by the Lord. And he had warned them. He had warned them that their sin had come up against them. And I remember Abraham pleads for the people there and all of that. And eventually judgment comes. The sin that they were engaged in was sexual perversion in great number in, in 
tremendous depravity. Um, and that's recorded for us in the Bible as a warning. Because it is often that realm of sexual perversion that is the final of sins before judgment comes. And that's, I'm saying that from history. I'm saying that from the biblical history as well. It seems to be one of the, the final things that is the sign of a culture and a society that is depraved in their actions and in their thinking and they go away from God as far as they can. Romans chapter 1 echoes that as well. And we find here what happens to Lot. He goes off and purely with his eyes he sees fertile ground. He sees a place that would make him even more prosperous. And yet he was prosperous beforehand. And he goes there and then pretty soon um, he's pitching his tent towards that. And we see that in Genesis 13. Now you come to Genesis 18, uh, sorry, you come to Genesis 19 and it's the Lord sending angels down there to deliver Lot and his family out as the fire and brimstone are falling on the city. You come to the New Testament and the Holy Spirit comments through the pen of Peter on Lot. In 2 Peter 2.8 it says, For that righteous man, Lot was still a righteous man. He was a man that had believed God, but yet he got caught up in sin and he got caught up in the location of sin as well. Look what it says. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Some people just decide to live too close. And you know what happened to Lot? He tormented his soul. Tormented. And he came out of there at great loss. He lost not only his testimony among the people. He had lost that beforehand. He lost his wife. Later he'd lose uh, the relationship with his daughters in a very perversion, uh, in, in an incest act that takes place. And yet in spite of all that, God still works all that out. Because we know out of Lot comes the Moabite nation. <laughs> and out of the Moabites who were accursed people, there's a Moabite woman later on that's grafted into Israel by faith. Her name is Ruth, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I think about that. I think, Lord, you are gracious where sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. And I'm thankful for that. And that's the story of the Bible. Sin comes in, and if you want to continue in sin, it will always enslave you and bring you further down, eventually leading to death. He went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, and he went into her. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said this, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, in Jesus' time, people were, uh, the, the, he's speaking to the Pharisees there, and he's speaking to others that were present, but the context was, um, and Jesus often would say of that generation, a wicked and adulterous generation. And I'm sure there were people, when the word adultery came up, they would sit there and say, oh, I've never committed adultery. And then Jesus says, but if you've even looked on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery in your heart. You see, one of the things that Jesus wants is not just our outward actions, but he wants our heart. He wants us to have a heart for him in faith. 
in trust, in belief. And that kind of lays bare, you know, the human heart. And Jesus says, we have a heart problem. Samson had a heart problem. His actions also followed, but it really started in his heart long before he went down and he saw a harlot and he went to her. In Psalm 119, verse 37, the Bible says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. How much of our eye, uh, you know, entertainment in our world today centers on things that are not lasting, things that will only bring maybe for a moment some pleasure or the you know, something tantalizing to your eye with whatever it may be. We're consumed with the eye today. And it reflects what's in the heart. And often is the gateway to the heart. One feeds the other. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. You know, sometimes in a world where you cannot help what the world does, I mean... I can't change what's going on around me too much. I mean, we can change individuals as we share the gospel with them. And as a society accepts the gospel, that definitely helps push sin from our realms. But you, if you walk in this world and you have a wandering eye, you will see all kinds of things you, don't, you shouldn't be seeing. Here the prayer of the psalmist and later in the Proverbs here is, let your eyes look straight ahead. Sometimes you just have to say, God, keep my eyes focused on you. Ponder the path of your feet. That's also the thing. You know, sometimes we end up falling into sin simply because we didn't look ahead. And I don't even like the word falling into sin because it's really a choice. Sometimes, yes, you can get caught up in something and you didn't plan on it for that day. I'm not sure that uh, Samson went down to Gaza necessarily to seek out a prostitute, but that's what happens. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Sometimes life and the life of righteousness and the life that is victorious over sin is just taking one step in faith at a time he doesn't ask us to take the step at the end yet but now one step and then another and then another and a series of days that are following the lord end up to a lifetime following the lord if you'll do that do not turn to the right or the left remove your foot from evil sometimes we just have to run you know run and look straight ahead The book of Job, Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes, why then should I look upon a young woman? It's a good covenant. It really is. Job was a married man. Why should he look at another woman, is what he's saying. His heart should be fixed upon her and upon the Lord who gave her to him. And I think that is one of the biggest struggles for men today. It really is. And the world mocks it, doesn't, don't they? Mike Johnson, who's the Speaker of the House, he, in an interview, uh, talked about how he and his son um, have 
accountability software on their devices and on their computer and all that, and it, it sends you know a list of places that they've been and visited and all that. And it was interesting that the media, a lot of them misunderstood that and thought, oh, isn't that something that the Speaker of the House wants to know the pornography that his son's watching and he's watching. And that isn't at all what it's about. It's about him keeping someone accountable in his life to not do those things. And I just have to say out up front is that, listen, that's an area that is depriving Christian men right now of intimacy with the Lord and with others. And it's expected in the world the world is living for a moment, but it's filled with all kinds of broken relationships and mental health issues and everything else that at the heart of it is just living for self. Oh, God wants so much more for us. Be infatuated with him. And I mean that, just be infatuated with him. Build some accountability in your life as well. Do that. And if, if it means throwing something out and getting it away, shutting it down, do it. Better to go through life without a computer, <laughs> if that's the issue, or wherever else, or some entertainment package that you've bought, or something like that. Get rid of it. It's worth eternity. Judges 16.1, it says, and he went into her. That decision was made to go to her after he saw her. And again, there are things... And one man put it this way, a man I respected years ago. He said, you know, you're going to go out in this world. You're going to see things. You're going to see, you're going to see you know, a beautiful woman. Those, but he said, it's that second glance that will get you in trouble. Beware of that. The book of James warns us. It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, right? The age-old excuse. Well, God made them beautiful. I must just submit to God. No, that's not what he, he said. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. You, you will be tempted in this world. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So there's this idea of being baited in and then being enticed. That's, that's from within. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And that is the pattern in scripture. It always brings forth that idea of of enslavement eventually leading if it's not repented of and dealt with it brings forth death that's why there's death in our world is because we're sinners and christ has broken that sin he took our sin he bore it we'll talk a little bit about that here in a moment well we have um Samson going to the wrong address and going down doing the wrong things. It, one thing led to another in that. And I have to say again about Samson, it seems that one of the things that Samson could never overcome was his own pride. And I, I kind of picture Samson, now we get it from his actions more than his words, although his words back it up as well, is that he was very proud. He could conquer anything. And he would do so with such ease. And yet, too often, he found himself conquered by sin. And that's a warning for all of us. 
And I, the Bible warns us of that as well. It warns us that we need to, um, we, we need to flee, right? In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it talks about this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Sometimes we're really proud and, and that pride will come crashing down when we come crashing down. Easy to do. And it doesn't take much, you know. Often think of it in the context of walking on slippery surfaces, right? Sometimes you can't help being on the slippery surfaces, especially in northern Maine. But you can help where you walk and how you walk and help alleviate some of those pitfalls that are there. But if you're just going to run out there and say, oh, it can never happen to me, I'll tell you what, I once said that jokingly. I said, hey, I made it through the whole winter without falling. And I, I had gone through MBBI about three years. I was in my third year, and I hadn't wiped out. And that was a big deal, coming off the hill where the boys' dorm was. Because it was like it was really fun to watch people going down the walkway in the morning and who would wipe out and who wouldn't, who would hit a house, who wouldn't, you know, that kind of stuff. And I made it three years without falling. And then one day, I was headed out. Nobody was even around. And I ran into the parking lot to get into my car. I was, getting, I was late, and I was going somewhere. And didn't I wipe out? Went right under the car. And I thought, yeah, Lord, all right, this is what you meant. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. That's a good principle. Now, I was young, and I could bounce right back up, and it didn't, I just had to brush the snow off me. Now, today, I might still be under that car if that happened. <laughs> but I'm just saying... There are falls that aren't so bad, and then there are bad things that can happen, right? And I've often used the illustration of when I was in the military, one of the things that we did and trained in, in uh, the unit I was in was repelling. And we had a place that we'd go on the weekends just to practice and, and play around a little bit off the cliffs. And um, I have a picture, not of, of us doing that, but of a soldier who is, is repelling. And that was very similar to what we were doing. And I remember um, first time I ever hooked up to uh, the ropes and, and checked my equipment out and got to the edge of this 100-foot cliff. And I looked down and I thought, wow, you know. And actually the ropes didn't even make it all the way down. They were about 10 feet off the ground. And I thought, I don't want to go down that rope. And my instructor, or one of our sergeants, he said, don't worry, the ropes stretch. They'll, make, they'll reach the ground. I thought, okay. But I remember looking at my equipment. I thought, first of all, I have two ropes. And those both can hold more than my weight. They can hold a car each, pretty much. And I thought, okay, i got two of those. I've got my equipment. It all checks out. I'm hooked up right. And I was going through my mind and all that. But it was that first step, right, of trust. When you're stepping off and actually just letting everything hold you. And I remember going down that rope first time. Tremendously exhilarating, that's for sure. Uh, and doing that but it was one of the things that as you got more familiar with it you had to be more careful because as you become familiar with something that is very dangerous it's not normal for people to jump off cliffs at 100 feet up okay or out of helicopters or other things like that that isn't something normal um, and to do that and we would do it hooking up Aussie as they call it which is in the back and some you would jump face first and like spider-man come flying down I know you got that image in your head now but anyways and that was a lot of fun, but you had to watch out. You didn't, like, start, you had to slow down quick. Remember the rope stretch? And then 
the, uh, the ground comes up rather quick at 100 feet up, up and, and all that stuff. And I remember one time I thought, oh, I'm going to go down. I'm going to really come close to hitting the ground, but I'm going to belay before it happens. And sure enough, I, I went a little too long, and I, I, I went bang right into the ground hard. But the rope was slowing down at that point, you know. So it was like being slapped against the ground, knocked the wind out of me. And I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, oh, that was dumb, you know. Let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Just about the time you think you know what you're doing in this life is a good time to take note and say, wait a minute. Lord, I need you more than now, more than ever. More than ever. Follow the instructions. Do what you know you should do. It's not a mystery. It's found right here in this book. The Bible talks about that. And if you are going to hang out in places you shouldn't and see things you shouldn't and do things you shouldn't, you will become like that. Paul says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That is absolutely true, isn't it? We also see what takes place in Samson's life. Uh, <clears throat> I'm moving ahead here. See which, there we go. And we see the progression of sin. And the people of Gaza, the Philistines, um, they pictured really the enemy that was the enslaving enemy. And here is Samson down among them again. And the Bible says they surrounded the place. Samson has come here and they surrounded the place. You see, sin will leave a, lay a trap for you. And you might think, oh, I, I'm okay, you know. I can do this and not get affected by it, or no one else will and all that. But it surrounds us eventually. And we see that. that you see the progression or the degression of, of Samson in his, his life here. And for the believer, that should not be us. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. And Paul reminds the Ephesians, he says, that's how you used to be. But you've been made alive in Christ. You have been quickened. That means brought back from the dead. He's the great victor who breaks sin. There's a lot more that could be said about that. We read next. It says they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him. All night the gate. They were quiet all night. And I didn't underline that one, but the quiet all night. You know, the other thing about sin is that it has a way of sneaking up on you. And you think, ah, right now everything's good. Oh, it's quiet in my life. And is it? You see, it will lead to trouble. And that's what it says here. They were all quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. Do you think we have an enemy out there? And we do. We have a spiritual enemy who is plotting even now, lying in wait to trap you and to enslave you? Yes. Absolutely. 
beware of that. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I think of how a lion sneaks up on its prey. It roars from a distance, but if you're hearing the roar of a lion, it's too late for you if you hear it nearby (laughs) because that lion's on you. And they're like any cat. They, They sneak up on their prey, except they're not like the little house cat. You look at a lion in the face, you know, that high, <laughs> a male lion. Uh, and I wouldn't want to face off with one. Never. I've seen them in a zoo. That's as good as I want to be, right there, as close as I want to be. But we have an enemy who's prowling about. And here the Philistines wanted to do the same thing. And, you know, that's the wages of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that's what sin always pays out. Always. Now if that verse was it, that was it, and that verse ended right there, I tell you what, we'd all say, oh, it's awful. Let's just go home and whatever, live up. But the Bible goes on to say in that same verse, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad that sin brings death, but Christ brings life? Amen. Amen. Resurrected out of that death. If you'll turn to him, he promises to give you eternal life. Oh, I'm thankful for that. But you have to repent of your sin. You have to turn away from sin. That's the attitude, the action. It's a, it's a complete 180. It's an about face saying, Lord, I'm no longer going to follow that path anymore. I'm going to follow your path. And his path has already been trodden by the Savior. It's a good thing. We see Samson in his deliverance. Now somehow Samson, it seems like he's always getting... Almost always getting away with things, right? Samson knows that these men are outside the gate waiting for him. In ancient times, the the gate of the city was the place that everybody had to go in and out of. Some cities had many gates, but there was always like a main gate. And this time, he would go in and out of that gate. And they knew that would be the best place to ambush Samson. And so they're lying in wait just outside the gate. Well, Samson decides he's going to go... And he's going to show them a trick or two. And um, Samson goes and rips up the gates, right? Verse 3, it says, And Samson lay low till midnight, and then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Wow. <laughs> I can only picture that in my mind that, you know, of something that was just tremendously, you know, immense. Now, these gates were designed such that it wasn't easy to penetrate them or to breach them. And they were weigh thousands of pounds. Maybe, you know, uh, some have estimated, and again, the, there's archaeology that backs up some of this from that time, where things may have been tens of thousands of pounds, depending on what he had to pick up. You say, well, that would just be impossible for a man to pick up thousands of pounds and move it. 
But Samson, remember, not only was he strong, that he was supernaturally strong. God, time and time again, still used and delivered Samson. And yet, eventually, Samson would get caught up in his own pride. And we'll learn more about Samson at a future time. But I just want to say this, that our strength comes and goes, in physical strength that we have. Um, you can't do let's say, the same things at age 70 that you could do when you were 20 or 30 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we know, don't we? Yeah. Uh, I think of Greg Ernst. Some of you, I've talked about him before too. Greg Ernst, um, who's now 62 years old. Greg is a beef farmer, a dairy farmer from uh, Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. And back in 1990 and 91, he was Canada's strongest man. Um, and he even went in 1992 and competed in Iceland for the, the uh, uh, basically it's like the Viking version of the, the strongest man of the world competition. And he picked up the Hezefel stone, that's what that is that he has there, it's 410 pounds. And he walked at 70 meters and he broke a thousand year old record. Wow. Whew. Strong man. Greg was also known to have broken a record. Now it's been beaten, by the way. And the Hezefel record stood for a lot of uh, years. My, the funny thing about that is, he, he, there's, there's a YouTube video of that event. And I know Greg, and I've talked to him about this. And he said, you know, I, I went the distance, and the old marker was there. And I walked past that marker, and he says, I put down the rock, because I beat the record. But he thought, I should have gone a lot further. He still had energy to do it. Because a little while later, another guy came and beat his record, you know. But Greg, who is now older, said, I can't do the things I used to do. He can't lift like what he used to do. He used to, buy, by the way, his personal best, he squatted 750 pounds. He could deadlift 800 pounds. And he could bench press 510 pounds. There you go. And he backlifted. Um, he used to go to like you know competitions and they would lift like in this case oxen you know on a platform and he'd lift it with his back thousands of pounds he did it with two cars also and the uh, record weight that he lifted with his back was 5,340 pounds I mean I can't even think that way you know Greg today doesn't lift that just so you know He's still a rugged guy. And one time he showed up uh, at MBBI and his sons were with him. And they, he says, uh, I said, do you want something to eat? And he goes, no, we brought something. And he brings out this ham that was wrapped in, you know, it was like this big. And a couple gallons of milk. And they set it down. And he got his knife out. And he started hawking off the ham. And he, they went and ate that whole ham. And they drank the both gallons of milk. And I thought, man, I'm not going to mess with these guys, you know. <laughs> Farmers, watch out. Never go hungry. But what my point is this, that you might be a strong man. You might think you're a strong woman. You might think you are strong enough to hold off sin in your life. You can't. Greg's a Christian man. And Greg recognized early on in his life that there was someone much stronger than him. Amen. Amen. Someone who was stronger than Samson. Someone who is so strong that one day, in his weakest state, 
when he had been chastised all night, beaten, and was beaten to a pulp, and was bleeding, and had a crown of thorns on his head, and had been stripped of his garments, a cross was placed upon him, and he was compelled to take the cross and go to a place called Calvary. And there, the weight of the sin of the world would be placed upon Jesus. And he would be victorious. You need not bear your sin anymore. You do not need to lift that heavy burden. Jesus has already done it for you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Follow his steps, my friends. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. See, Samson was a strong man, but Samson committed sin. And Samson had deceit in his mouth. How much more Samson would have been a, 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 really someone that God could have used if he'd just been sold out more to him. Talking of Jesus, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Do you know the Savior? Or are you still trying to hold on to your own sin? It's going to crush you someday if you do that. Give it to him. He wants that. And he can bear it. And he can forgive you. And give you eternal life if you'll believe and trust him. Let's pray. Lord, again, we're reminded, reminded of the strength it takes to forgive us our sin. It took the very strength of God. Not by human strength at all, but by divine strength. And, oh, Lord, I pray that even today, many, even some here, Lord, would turn to you in faith would put their sin upon you and by faith follow you, O Lord. You've promised that you'll save us from our sin. Thank you, God, for that. Help us to walk in the righteous path, taking a close look at where our steps are going, knowing that, Lord, to follow you is worth it in the end. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.